This is an American Crime Cast production. Visit us at accproductions.org. And remember, everyone is innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. This podcast is part of the BombPod Media Network. His name is Bryce Laspisa, had been studying at Rockland Sierra College. His former roommate said he moved up here to Northern California to go to school here at Sierra College to get a fresh new start in a new community. And now many here and his friends and family down in Southern California are trying to figure out what happened to him on that trip home. A couple hours after hearing from Bryce's roommate, his mother Karen gets a call from Bryce, who's with his girlfriend Kim at her place in Chico. Kim tells Karen that she thinks Bryce isn't acting at all like himself. He told both of us the same thing. He told me, I want my keys. I want to go home. I broke up with Kim. She won't give me the keys. And I said, Bryce, are you okay? Yes, I'm fine, Dad. I said, Bryce, I'm worried. I said, let me come up there tomorrow. Let me fly up there tomorrow. And he says, Mom, no, don't make an airline reservation until I talk to you because I have a lot to talk to you about. Bryce's parents both wonder what their son meant when he said, I have a lot to talk to you about. I have absolutely no idea. The 19-year-old's truck was found crashed on its side near Castaic Lake, 45 miles north of Los Angeles. But the Sierra College student was still missing. There's times that it just hits me. We live with daily uncertainty. We have to, we stay strong. We stay strong for Bryce. There isn't a day that goes by that we think that this is the day and that somebody's going to find him. There isn't any other way that we can live. The Orange County teen was traveling home from Northern California when police found his SUV overturned. Investigators came across his laptop and other valuables when they searched the road. But after Bryce was pizza, he was nowhere to be found. Theories to why Bryce disappeared continued to circulate. Some people, including law enforcement, believe he left voluntarily. If Bryce is still alive out there, that he doesn't know who he is. It's been three years of a nightmare. This is Roseanne from the California Dreaming Podcast. I am so very excited to have this opportunity to participate in this collaboration with Justin of the Mysterious Circumstances Podcast. It was an idea we came up with when Justin recommended his episode to me featuring 10 mysteries from California. We thought it would be kind of fun to take one of the 10 and put together kind of a crossover episode that infuses the best of both of our shows. I usually don't cover mysteries or unsolved cases. I like a good ending and some good justice being served, but I find these mysteries to be intriguing nonetheless. Justin asked if I wanted to pick one of the 10 mysteries he discussed in his California episode, and after listening to his list, one immediately jumped out at me because it feels, out of all of the other mysteries, that it's kind of solvable. It's only a matter of time. So, without further ado, it is with great pleasure 
that Justin and I bring you today's special crossover episode of Mysterious Circumstances and California Dreaming, The Disappearance of Bryce Las Pisa. After spending the summer following his freshman year at home with his parents, Mike and Karen, in Laguna Niguel, California, 19-year-old Bryce Las Pisa had just been dropped back off by his parents at Sierra College in Rockland, California. It is a community college located in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada mountains, and it's about 20 minutes away from Sacramento, and approximately 105 miles or 169 kilometers east of San Francisco. Right away when I looked up this college and I found that it was actually a community college, red flags went up for me. I did not quite understand why Bryce attended a community college 500 miles away from home. It didn't make much sense to me, but I did a little bit of digging and I really don't want to get too deep into any rabbit holes on web sleuths, but I found that Bryce had actually graduated from high school in Illinois. He moved to Southern California in the summer of 2012, but for some reason he went to Sierra College. 500 miles away from where his parents were living. It's rare to attend community college so far away from home. It would only be speculation on my part, but the reasons why I think Bryce would choose to go to school so far away is because he wanted to be far away from his parents. Either that or to follow a girlfriend there, but it's my understanding that he actually met his girlfriend there at Sierra College. Anyway, That was one of the first things that bugged me about this case. Far away community college. Doesn't make any sense. And another tidbit about Bryce's living situation, I read also on Web Sleuth, and I don't know if it's true or not, but it's just something to possibly think about when considering Bryce's state of mind at the time that he went missing. But apparently, a former roommate had said that Bryce moved to the Northern California school to start over after some trouble he had gotten into. His roommate also said that Bryce partied hard in school, harder than most students he had come to know. So considering the path that Bryce was on, his disappearance wasn't actually that much of a surprise to him. His former roommate also said that Bryce had actually been evicted from their place the previous year because of his partying, that their friendship hadn't really ended on good terms, but he had no ill will towards Bryce. He also strongly indicated that Bryce needed help. Now, again, I want to reiterate that this is just a post I saw online. I don't know how much truth there is to this or not, but this ex-roommate would not be the only person to suggest Bryce had a drinking and drugging problem. So, in August of 2013, Bryce had just arrived back at Sierra College after having spent the summer with his parents. He had called his mom after his first day of classes, and according to her, all seemed well. His parents would describe Bryce as very social, someone who was charismatic and had lots of friends. They would also say he is a very open person, and that is a trait that he gets from his mother, and that he was always a very easy person to know and talk to. It was during his freshman year at Sierra College that he met Kim, a young woman who'd eventually become his girlfriend. And by all accounts, he appeared to be generally happy. All the pictures on his Facebook page seemed to reflect that. But you know and I know that what people post on Facebook 
isn't always the truest of reflections as to what might be going on in someone's life. We all like to post the happy, fun stuff, so I wouldn't necessarily take Bryce's postings on social media at face value. But by all accounts, it would appear life was good for Bryce. However, a few days before that Labor Day weekend of 2013, friends close to Bryce would describe his behavior as having gone through some sort of drastic change. It seemed as if something kind of just flipped in his personality, and it was such a dramatic change that all of his friends took notice. So concerning was this sudden personality change, his roommate decided it was enough for him to want to call Bryce's parents and talk to them about it. So, that Wednesday night before Labor Day, August 28th, Bryce's mom, Karen, received a call from that roommate. He explained that the day before, on Tuesday, Bryce was behaving very strangely. He told her that Bryce and his girlfriend, Kim, had been texting back and forth, and it got to the point where Bryce texted her that maybe she would be better off without him. She texted back and asked if he was breaking up with her, and he texted back and said yes. I want to stop here for a minute, because I might be reading a lot into this interaction between Bryce and his girlfriend, as well as Bryce's roommate and his mom. First of all, the text message to his girlfriend that she's probably better off without him. What does that even mean? What did he mean by that? To me, it feels like Bryce is trying to get out of a relationship without hurting his girlfriend's feelings. Like that kind of you deserve better statement, which in other words means you deserve someone who loves you and it's not me. Whatever they were fighting about, Whatever was going on in those text message exchanges, when he told Kim that she'd be better off without him, either he was just trying to get her to move on without making her feel bad, or he truly feels that she'd be better off without him. Like, maybe everyone would be better off without him? In other words, is he feeling worthless, perhaps? Those words could possibly have very strong implications as to how he really feels about his place in the world. And about his roommate calling his mom? I mean, who does that? To me, there would have to be something seriously, seriously wrong with Bryce for his roommate to take that drastic of a step. We've seen college kids fall down stairways, shit-faced drunk, their buddies prop them up and step over them. These guys are just a day or two into the semester and something drastic enough is going on with Bryce that he felt compelled to call his mom? I'm the mom of an 18-year-old, and if any of her friends thought something was so serious was going on with my kid that they actually called me with their concerns, I'd totally freak out. I would not take it lightly, especially if I seem to think that my child is an open book, easygoing, fun-loving, happy, all of that. No, friends calling me calls for a complete freakout if you ask me. Bryce's roommate told his mom that it seemed like things changed when they decided to stay up all night, a couple nights before, to play video games. And in order to help stay awake, he told Karen that Bryce had been experimenting with a drug called Vyvanse, a drug that is commonly prescribed to treat attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, or ADHD. I need to stop here and talk about Vyvanse a little bit more, because personally, 
I don't know very much about recreational prescription drug use. So what exactly is Vyvanse and what does it do? According to drug.com, Vyvanse is a central nervous system stimulant prescription medication. It is used for the treatment of ADHD. It may help increase attention and decrease impulsiveness and hyperactivity in patients with ADHD as it affects certain chemicals in the brain that may help to improve attention span and behavior. It is a federally controlled substance since it can be abused or lead to dependence. And selling or giving away Vyvanse may cause harm to others and it is against the law. Vyvanse can be abused recreationally by, of course, people seeking the pleasurable effects of the drug. In fact, if they are attempting to seek a quick, more intense high, they may crush the pill in order to snort it, and users who use Vyvanse recreationally typically do so. Using this drug results in a euphoric high, help with studying, improved concentration, and increased energy. Over the years, the rate of prescription amphetamine abuse has risen sharply amongst 18 to 25-year-olds, as well as people over the age of 25. Large numbers of college students have been found to be abusing prescription stimulants, as many as 20%. College students with ADHD were indeed giving away or selling their medications at high rates. And unfortunately, those who choose to snort Vyvanse instead of ingesting it as it is meant to be, the high isn't really any quicker or more intense. As a matter of fact, snorting this particular drug actually only leads to more physical harm. The side effects of snorting and abusing Vyvanse include problem sleeping, dizziness, sweating, shakiness, headaches, dry mouth, chest pains, problems breathing, nausea, vomiting, lack of hunger, weight loss, abdominal pains, constipation or diarrhea, rapid heart rate, chest pains, difficulty speaking, facial swelling, vision problems, cyanosis, which is a blue tint to the lips, fingers, and toes, motor or verbal tics, and seizures. Abusing Vyvanse may lead to a heart attack, stroke, or sudden death. Vyvanse can also trigger or worsen mental health symptoms, and a person snorting Vyvanse may experience anxiety, aggression, mood changes, delusional thinking, paranoia, and hallucinations. And of course, there are the physical side effects of snorting the drug, including sinus inflammation, compromised sense of smell, nosebleeds, injury to the nasal septum, dry or hoarse voice, difficulty swallowing, and deterioration of the nasal mucosa. Now here is something I want you to keep in mind when Justin talks to you more about theories. These are the symptoms of a Vyvanse overdose. Vertigo, fainting, confusion, hostile mood or behavior, severe anxiety, panic, depression, psychosis, Markedly elevated body temperature, tremors, weakness, severe nausea, diarrhea, dangerously elevated heart rate, hypertensive crisis, profuse sweating, inability to breathe, loss of consciousness, seizures, stroke, and cardiac arrest. So, it is clear that the abuse of this stimulant medication is dangerous. 
and using stimulants like Vyvanse in combination with alcohol and other sedatives puts a person at the highest levels of risk. A person struggling with Vyvanse abuse is going to have observable behavioral changes, and someone who may be dependent on Vyvanse may need to start taking larger and larger doses, spending more time, effort, and money in order to acquire the drug, struggle with reduced use or not having any of the drug to consume, often a sharp shift in relationships, increased conflicts with family and loved ones, reduced performance at work, home, and school, and they will exhibit odd or unexpected changes in mood. Now, I don't know what the extent of Bryce's drug and alcohol consumption was, but from what I could glean from online forums, there seems to have been some kind of issue with it. I talked about his roommate calling his mom because he was so concerned about Bryce's behavior and how that stood out to me as something very concerning. I don't know what kind of reaction there was on the part of Bryce's parents when they got this call. I know if it were me, like I said, I would be panicked. And at this point, I am so heartbroken for them. But I just wonder if this phone call from his roommate raised some serious concerns. I feel like it should have, but I don't know. There is more in the same vein, but let me get back to the timeline. So a couple of hours after receiving that concerning phone call from Bryce's roommate to tell her that he is worried about him and to tell her about the breakup that he had with Kim, Bryce's mom received a call, this time from Bryce himself. He was at his girlfriend's apartment in Chico, California, which is another 90 miles north of Sierra College in Rockland. Kim got on the phone with Bryce's mom and related the same message his roommate had to her a couple hours earlier, that she did not think Bryce was acting like himself at all, that something was very off about his demeanor, and he was behaving very, very strangely, and she was very worried about him. Kim had even gone so far as to take his keys away from him because she did not think he was in any kind of shape to be driving. And she told this to Bryce's mom over the phone, that she had his keys, and she didn't think he should drive anywhere. Bryce got on the phone with his mom and insisted that he was perfectly fine. He told the same thing to his dad, that he wanted his keys, he wanted to go home. He told him that he had broken up with Kim and she wouldn't give him his keys. His dad asked him if he was sure that he was okay, and Bryce insisted that he was fine. His mom got on the phone with him and told him that she was worried about him and that she would book a flight to come up there the next day to see him. And according to his mom, he told her, no, do not make an airline reservation until he had a chance to talk to her because he had a lot to talk to her about. Bryce's mom got back on the phone with Kim and she asked her to give Bryce his keys. So she relented and did as his mom asked. Bryce left her apartment at approximately 11.30 p.m. the night of Wednesday, August 28th. Now, I need to stop here again and talk about this interaction with Bryce, his girlfriend Kim, and his parents. Now, for the second time in so many hours, two people who have been in direct contact with Bryce have grown so concerned about his behavior that his roommate actually contacted his mom by phone to tell her about his concerns and then follow that up with his girlfriend or ex-girlfriend 
also being so worried about Bryce that she snatches his keys in an effort to keep him from getting behind the wheel. If it were me, I'd be really, really worried about my kid. And I don't doubt that they know their son, but when you've got two people who are closest to him right now in his life, his roommate and his girlfriend, and they tell you that they're really worried about him, yet Bryce is able to shut everyone down and tell everyone that he's okay. I don't know if there is any more that could have been done in that moment with his girlfriend. I mean, she couldn't hold him there hostage or anything. And for me, that's one of the most frustrating aspects of this case. That the people close to him were seeing troubling things going on, and it was so easy for him to convince everyone that everything was okay. I guess my takeaway from this is, if you see some red flags, even if you don't think that there's anything wrong, it's best to just err on the side of caution. So... Bryce drove off from Kim's apartment around 11.30pm that night. In her interview with Disappeared, Bryce's mom insists that over the phone, Bryce sounded completely normal to her, stating, I, as his mom, did not get the sense that he was distraught over what he was doing. Bryce didn't seem heartbroken. She indicated that she told him to go back to his apartment to get some sleep and to call her back in the morning, to which he agreed. But after they hung up, both Bryce's mom and dad remained curious as to what he meant when he said that he had a lot to talk to them about. They had just dropped him off back at the college two weeks earlier, and to them, he seemed cheerful and in overall good spirits. They, for the life of them, could not imagine what in the world could be bothering Bryce so much that there was so much that he needed to talk about with them when he had only been back in Northern California for two weeks. And on top of that, he had just spent the entire summer at home with his parents, and he had barely made it through two days of school, and suddenly he has, quote, so much to tell them, unquote. They're completely perplexed by this statement, and sadly, they would never come to find what exactly it was he wanted or needed to say to them. The next interaction Bryce had with his parents was a phone call that he made to his mom at approximately 1 o'clock in the morning the next morning on Thursday, August 29th. His mom assumed he was calling from his apartment because that would be about the amount of time it would take for him to make that drive back there from Kim's place. But later on, Bryce's parents would come to find out that it was determined based on cell phone tower triangulations that that phone call had originated someplace approximately an hour away from his apartment someplace that seemed to be in the middle of nowhere when they looked at it on a map. From what they could see based on his location, Bryce was headed south as he had driven past his college in the direction of the Tatchby Mountains. Where was he going? It's anybody's guess. Now about that 1 a.m. phone call. Bryce's mom didn't state that she actually talked to him. All she said was that she received the phone call and assumed it was him calling to tell her he had made it home. This would be conjecture on my part, again, but I'm assuming she didn't answer the call, as there didn't seem to be indication that they had exchanged any conversation. To me, it would be likely she missed the call because she had gone to bed. Again, despite the concerning calls from the roommate and the girlfriend, 
I suppose Bryce was pretty convincing when he told her he was fine, so she wasn't waiting up for his call. And now with that, the questions begin. What was Bryce doing? Why was he driving so much further south than his apartment? Where was he going? Why didn't he go home? Was he avoiding something? Was he hesitating? What was his mindset? There are so many questions. Anyway, later that same morning at approximately 11 a.m., Bryce's parents received a voicemail from their auto insurance provider. It was a standard alert that roadside assistance had been activated for the vehicle that Bryce was driving. His mom became alarmed, and on the episode of Disappeared, she stated that she called Bryce's apartment and spoke to his roommate. Now, I again find this to be kind of weird, too. I don't know if she called a landline at the apartment. I don't know if they had one or not. But she ended up getting a hold of Bryce's roommate, not Bryce. Is it possible that they had a landline in their apartment in 2013? Is this a thing that college students have anymore? I don't know. Maybe, maybe they don't get good cell phone service in their apartment and have a landline for that reason. But his mom didn't say that she tried to call Bryce's cell phone. She never said that she tried calling him and he didn't answer. I would assume that she tried to call him, but that would be a guess on my part again. She just said that she called and spoke to their roommate. She stated she asked the roommate if Bryce was still asleep, and maybe she called him and he hadn't answered and she assumed he was asleep, so next dialed the roommate? Possibly. Well, the roommate informs her that Bryce never came home that night. So at this point, the last pieces have no idea where Bryce is at. They decided to do some digging on the computer, and they took a look at their credit card statement online and found that there was a charge from Buttonwillow, California. Now, Buttonwillow is along the 5 Freeway, about 25 miles or 42 kilometers west of Bakersfield. It is a major truck stop for motorists traveling along the 5. And because the 5 South goes directly to Orange County and is only a couple hours from Laguna Niguel, it would make sense to assume that Bryce was headed in that direction. At least that's what it seems. Naturally, his parents are assuming he's headed home to them. But why and for what? Nobody knows. So, Bryce's parents tracked the credit card charge to a tire and truck repair shop located near Buttonwillow. His dad called the shop to see what they could find out. The service repair person told him that he had provided service to Bryce at 9 a.m. that morning, so approximately two hours earlier. He informed Bryce's parents that he was the one that answered the call for roadside assistance because Bryce had run out of gas at a Buttonwillow rest area and that he had brought three gallons of gas to Bryce about an hour and a half ago and that was all the information that he had. The service repair person, being only 15 minutes away, actually offered to go back to see if he could find Bryce and his mom told him yes, that would be really helpful if he could do that. So the service person returned to the rest area and to his surprise, he found Bryce parked in the exact same spot that he had first found him having run out of gas three hours earlier. So he called Bryce's mom back and told her he was still sitting there at the rest area and he gave him his phone so he could talk to his mom. Bryce's mom asked him what he was doing there and Bryce said nothing. So mom tells him 
It's only three hours away from home. He needs to go fill up his gas tank and come home right away. Bryce seemingly agreed to his mom's instructions, and he apparently filled up his tank at a nearby gas station. And with that, Bryce's mother and father fully expected him to arrive at their home in Laguna Niguel by at least 3 p.m. that afternoon of Thursday, August 29th. I again find myself completely perplexed as to everything that's been going on with Bryce, and if it were me, I'd be kind of frantic at this point. But if Bryce was sounding lucid on the phone, calm and reassuring to his parents, I can imagine that they truly felt like there was nothing to be worried about. So anyway, his parents were at home waiting for Bryce's arrival, and they wait and wait and wait and he's just not showing up. So his mom begins to think that maybe he's stuck in traffic or it's a holiday weekend coming up and the Labor Day holiday is that following Monday and maybe that's why he's running late. So she called his phone around 3.30 p.m. to check in with him and he does not answer his phone. And she continues to call him over the next several hours leaving messages, but she is still not hearing back from her son. Now I'm sensing that mom is beginning to worry about Bryce. As night falls, his parents have not been able to get in touch with him for approximately six hours, and both his mom and his dad are becoming very concerned. By 6 p.m., Bryce's dad is pacing outside in front of the house waiting for him to arrive, hoping to see his car pull up at any minute. But that never happens. Bryce's parents decided to file a missing persons report with the Orange County Sheriff's Department. Police immediately contact the family's cellular provider in an effort to locate Bryce's phone. They were able to obtain an emergency order to ping his phone. AT&T is able to triangulate the location of Bryce's cell phone when they ping it, and what that information reveals is very surprising to his parents and police. For some reason, Bryce is still in the truck stop area of Buttonwillow. Even more perplexing, Bryce has barely moved in the past nine hours. Nobody has any idea what Bryce is doing or where he was at for those nine hours, but he actually only traveled about eight miles away from the place that he had gotten his car serviced after having run out of gas. The Kern County Sheriff's deputies are dispatched to the area where his phone pinged and they were able to locate him, still parked near the 5 freeway. They feel concerned, and they feel his behavior is unusual, as he has been lingering around that truck stop for more than 20 hours by the time sheriffs encountered him. The deputies think that he seems to be stalling going home for some reason, but they have no idea why. So in speaking to him, they ask him to submit to a field sobriety test. And with Bryce's permission, they asked to search his vehicle. He seems alert. He's speaking clearly. He's answering the deputies' questions. And they don't find any kind of drugs or alcohol in the car. And to them, just like to his parents, Bryce appears normal. Nothing raising any concerns. He was friendly and cooperative. They question him about what he's doing parked there off the interstate and he explains to them that he needed to stop driving, to relax, to blow off some steam, 
to rest a little bit so he can focus on the drive the rest of the way to Laguna Niguel, which seemed to make sense to the sheriffs. However, there was something that concerned the deputies. Bryce did not want to call his mom. They could not explain why Bryce was hesitant to call her, just that he didn't want to call. They likely explained to him that the missing persons report was filed and she was worried and that he should call her to calm her down. The deputies continued to insist that he call, but he just wouldn't. So they ended up actually calling her themselves and putting the phone in his hand, forcing him to talk to his mom, telling him, you need to speak to your mom now. According to Bryce's mom, before she got on the phone with Bryce, She asked the deputies if it was his opinion that her son was okay to drive, and they replied, Yes, ma'am, he is. It seems the deputies were comfortable with Bryce, that it was their assessment that he was okay to drive, so his parents were relieved. They believed that Bryce was okay, that the car was okay, there were no drugs or booze in the car, and he would simply make his way home. So then the deputy put Bryce on the phone and mom decided to tiptoe around the subject, deciding to not insist that he explain his actions over the last 22 hours. That's understandable, and she is going on the word of the deputies that they are telling her that Bryce seems perfectly fine. She questioned him again about what he was doing, and he told her that he was putting his stuff back in the car because the deputies had searched it. She told him that's not what she meant, that he had been in the same place for so many hours she wanted to know what he was doing. She asked him to get something to eat, and she was beginning to get worried because he would be driving in the dark. After listening to the conversation Bryce was having with his mom, the deputies ascertained that everything was going to be okay with him, and they decided that everything seemed fine, and he was going to make the rest of his way down to Laguna Niguel, so they left Bryce. About one hour later, after Bryce's mom got off the phone with him, she received a call from the service technician again. He was actually returning her call that she had made to him earlier. She had reached out to him when she found out from the cell phone tower pings that Bryce was still in Buttonwillow. He again offers to go back to where Bryce is at to check on him. By this time, Bryce's mom was pretty sure he wouldn't be there any longer, as she was under the impression that he should have been on his way down to Laguna Niguel. But the service tech went over there just to make sure. And strangely, again, he called Bryce's mom back and said Bryce is still parked there. So this brings the amount of time that Bryce has been lingering around the Buttonwell area to more than 13 hours for seemingly inexplicable reasons. He had absolutely no answers for his mom when she asked him what the heck he was doing. So this time to make sure Bryce gets on the freeway and starts heading into the direction of his parents' home, the service tech offers to follow Bryce onto the freeway and make sure he starts to make his way in the direction that he's supposed to be going. It apparently took some convincing to get Bryce going because it wasn't until about 30 minutes later that Bryce finally got on the 5, headed south towards Orange County. The service tech followed him onto the freeway And after approximately 10 miles, he decided to pull off and call Bryce's mom back and tell her that he was on his way. He followed him for 10 miles, so he thinks he's going to make it okay. In talking with Bryce before he got on the freeway, 
His parents told him to make sure he had his phone on so they could get in touch with him while he was making the drive now, late into the evening. Over the next several hours, Bryce's parents were able to be in regular contact with their son as he is supposedly making his way south on Interstate 5. They're asking him to point out some landmarks or some signs so they can keep track of where he is at. But he was continuing to be evasive. He told his parents that he couldn't see anything. But he did tell his parents that according to his GPS, his arrival time in Laguna Niguel would be 325 in the morning. That would be early morning hours of Friday, August 30th. At 2.09 in the morning, Bryce called his mom and told her that he was feeling too tired to drive any further at that point and that he was going to pull over to sleep in his car for a few hours before driving the final stretch to their house. And his parents were okay with that, despite the fact that this would put him having been on the road for nearly 27 hours. They certainly didn't want him driving, as he should have been terribly exhausted. At 8 in the morning, six hours after they had been told by Bryce that he was going to pull over to sleep in the car for a while, His parents got a knock at their door. That knock you never in your life want to get. Thinking that it was Bryce, they hurried to the door, only to find a California Highway Patrol officer standing on their front porch. And he was not there with good news. He asked the Las Pisas if they were the owners of a 2003 Toyota Highlander. And they said yes, that was their son's car. The CHP officer informs him that the car was found abandoned in Castaic Lake, which is about 90 miles or 145 kilometers south of Buttonwillow. So it seems Bryce had made it about halfway to his parents' house based on the location of his vehicle. The CHP officer told him that his car was found early that morning on an access road to the Castaic Lake State Recreational Area which is about two hours north of their home in Laguna Niguel. The CHP officer also informed the last pieces that Bryce was not found with a car, which was found crashed and on its side at the bottom of a 25-foot embankment. The back window appeared to have been broken out from the inside, and the officer believes this is how Bryce got out of the car. In examining the wreckage, officers did not find any blood outside of the car and from what they could see, it appeared Bryce abandoned the car there. What was also strange about the scene of the crashed car is Bryce's laptop and wallet were located inside the car, but his wallet and duffel bag were on the ground outside near the broken rear window. Once Bryce's parents found out that his phone, wallet, laptop, and all his personal belongings were still there with the car, they became frantic. Upon further examination of the inside of the car, investigators did find some of Bryce's blood on the passenger seat headrest and a little bit more blood on the back seat as well. So, unless Bryce had suffered some internal injuries, officers feel as though Bryce likely walked away from the crash with relatively minor injuries. His parents immediately came to the conclusion that Bryce must be wandering around somewhere completely disoriented possibly suffering a head injury that is causing him to not know who he is or where he is. In looking at the scene of the crash, 
based on what they could see from the path Bryce's vehicle took. Sometime before sunrise, Bryce drove off the main road and onto a service access road for a cell tower at that location. This would be a road used only to access the cell tower to be worked on by the company that owns that tower. There is no other reason for anyone to be on this road, and it comes to an abrupt end as the cell tower is perched atop a very steep and rugged embankment. Bryce drove his vehicle along past the cell tower, and if you are standing next to the cell tower looking over past the embankment, it appears that the steep drop-off leads straight down into the lake, but it actually does not. So Bryce continued past the cell tower and began driving down the embankment, and from the tracks that it left behind, it was apparent that the car was traveling at its full regular speed, and from the way the boulders and shrubs were jarred loose, it was evident that Bryce had his foot pressed down on the accelerator, not the brakes. The undercarriage of the car was moving at such speeds that it was unearthing large rocks as he went down. His car continued down and ended up falling off the steep embankment. His car dropped and it actually fell, nosedived onto the road below. Once it landed on its front end bumper, the car tipped over onto its side. Detectives came to the conclusion that this drive off of the embankment was a deliberate move on Bryce's part, and because of what they were able to find out in regards to his actions, behavior, and state of mind, it seemed apparent to them that it was very likely that Bryce had become suicidal. Assuming that Bryce thought this drive off the embankment would take him into the lake, detectives thought it could have been Bryce's intent to drive his car straight into the lake. As I had said a minute ago, it looks like from the top of the embankment that's where he would have ended up. If that were the case, then it was a miscalculation on Bryce's part, particularly if he was looking at it in the dark, because the lake did not extend close enough for him to have landed in the water. It could have been very deceiving. Now this raises more questions about Bryce. Why, if the detectives are correct, would he have been suicidal? Well, if you were to ask some of Bryce's friends at college, in the two weeks between his parents dropping him back off at school and classes actually starting, he had been engaging in some very, very reckless behaviors. When questioned by detectives, both his roommate and his girlfriend told them he had been drinking obscene amounts of hard liquor. Remember those two individuals? The ones who had been so worried about Bryce that they went so far as to call his parents? His roommate told detectives that Bryce was going through about two bottles of hard alcohol every couple of days. And his girlfriend told detectives that on the night he broke up with her, that he was using Vyvanse in addition to his heavy drinking, and that's why she had tried to keep him from driving. Now, I don't know if when the roommate and the girlfriend spoke to Bryce's mom those couple of days before he went missing, if they actually told her about his heavy drinking and drugging, but I kind of doubt it in order to not get him in any kind of trouble with his parents. If they had known, if his girlfriend had said Bryce was high and drunk, I doubt that they would have asked her to give him his keys back that night he left her place. And what's more, based on what I talked about earlier, all those side effects of Vyvanse abuse, 
What they are describing in Bryce's behavior seems pretty accurate of a reaction from the drug use. And there is another disturbing detail Bryce's roommate mentions to detectives. That right before he disappeared, he was giving away some of his belongings. He gave his roommate his Xbox and a pair of family heirloom diamond earrings his mother had given him. Bryce's mom found the giving away of his things as something he would have never done. But to detectives, this is a sign of someone who is planning to walk away from their life or to end their life. But his parents really didn't think that. They thought that he was not planning on going back to his apartment, that he was not planning on going back to school, that he was not planning on going back to his girlfriend. They believed he was coming back home to them. Now remember the things that I had discussed a little bit earlier about Vyvanse abuse? Well, this would be something to take into consideration if Bryce's roommate and girlfriend were correct about his alcohol and drug use. Investigators speculated that using these two substances together could have definitely had a severe effect on Bryce and his behavior, especially if he had any sort of other mental health issues just beneath the surface. It is very likely that he had some sort of psychotic break that manifested in this sort of odd behavior he had been exhibiting. However, according to their interview on Disappeared, Bryce's parents did not see things the same way investigators had theorized. They would categorize their son's drug and alcohol use as experimental at best. According to them, his actions were characteristic of the average teenager who drinks and uses drugs recreationally, and they insist Bryce absolutely did not struggle with addiction or substance abuse. His father stated, He's a regular kid. I'm not saying Bryce is a saint, so I'm sure he did an average amount of what teenagers do. He did have a couple of incidents, but they weren't a magnitude enough for us to say that there's some sort of serious problem here. His mother stated, Yeah, Bryce did underage drinking, but I don't know what could have happened in two weeks. I honestly don't because he was with us for the entire summer and he was perfectly fine and wasn't drinking at all. I'm not blind to anything that Bryce did that was just stupid teenage behavior, but I don't think Bryce had a problem. I don't think Bryce would be so ashamed by anything that he was doing that he wouldn't contact his mother and father. Now here, I would have to disagree. Simply based on the hesitancy that the deputies that encountered him in Buttonwillow pointed out that Bryce had to call his parents. They literally had to dial the number and put the phone in his hand and make him talk to his mom. I feel so very heartbroken for Bryce's parents, watching them in their interviews. I know hindsight is 2020, and if it were me looking back, I'd be wondering if I could have missed something, if I could have stepped in or stopped this before things went bad. But I really don't think they had any idea what could have been possibly going on in Bryce's mind. He could have had some other mental health issues that had become exacerbated by the introduction of drugs and alcohol into a system. There's no way his parents could have known. And for investigators, it seems clear, based on Bryce's actions, particularly driving his car off that embankment, that the likely scenario was Bryce was in a suicidal state of mind. They speculate that the drive off the embankment and the subsequent crash was a failed attempt to drive his car and himself into Castaic Lake. 
and when that didn't work, they speculate that he may have decided to go the rest of the way by foot into the lake. So they immediately launched a large-scale search on the same day that his vehicle was discovered crashed. This search included hundreds of sheriff's deputies who took part in the search for Bryce on foot as well as on ATVs, horseback, and search and rescue helicopters. The search continued for the entire Labor Day weekend. Cadaver dogs that were specifically trained to search for human remains were brought in to search the hills surrounding the lake, and police specializing in diving searched the lake itself. And Bryce's parents did everything they could. His dad made and distributed flyers. His mom contacted media outlets in an effort to get his story out there into the news. However, despite the enormous search effort that Labor Day weekend, no sign of Bryce was found. No further evidence was found. There has been no contact from Bryce, no phone calls, no text messages. He had none of his possessions with him. There was just nothing. In the 11,000 acre park where Bryce's car was found, there was no indication that he met with foul play. And there was also no evidence that he died there or took his own life. No trace of him has ever been found anywhere in that park. Investigators feel that if he had taken his own life or died by some other means in Castaic Lake Park, his remains would have been found, as the extensive searches turned up nothing. He doesn't seem to be there or in the lake. Whatever Bryce was doing at Castaic Lake remains unknown, just like much of the time leading up to his vehicle being found there crashed. However, there was something intriguing discovered on surveillance cameras. A few hours before he crashed his car over that cell phone tower access road embankment, his vehicle was caught on still image surveillance cameras twice. There's a camera on the main road leading up to that access turnoff that takes pictures of the rear license plate of every vehicle that travels up that hill. Approximately four hours before his SUV was discovered crashed at the bottom of that rocky embankment, the camera took pictures of Bryce's car traveling on that road at 2.15 in the morning on August 30th, which was only six minutes after he had made that phone call to his parents at 2.09, telling them that he was pulling off the road to rest for the remainder of the drive. Two hours later, at 4.29 a.m., that same still image surveillance camera captured another picture of his license plate, again traveling up that same road, headed in the same direction. His parents are completely dumbfounded as to what Bryce would be doing driving up and down that road for two hours, hinting at the fact that this behavior is totally strange and it makes no sense if it is him driving the car. Unfortunately, there are no images of who is driving the car, only that it's his car going past that camera twice in a matter of two hours. To investigators, it appears as though Bryce is possibly driving and contemplating, thinking, deciding, but it certainly wasn't him doing what he told his mom he was going to do, pull off the road to rest. Nine days after he vanished, bloodhounds were brought into the area where his car was found to try and track Bryce's scent to see where it may lead them. The dogs did pick up his scent at the site of the crash and followed it to a dam on the lake. They tracked his scent across the dam, which has a path across it, and then a scent seems to go south towards the spillway, 
and then picked up his scent on the other side of the spillway towards the area where the truck stop is located. Two different dogs track the same path leading to the truck stop, but that's where they lose the scent. It ends there at that truck stop. This has investigators thinking that Bryce could have possibly walked away from his life voluntarily. But Bryce's mom does not believe for a minute that he would have walked away voluntarily no matter what evidence investigators come up with that leads them to feel that that's a viable theory. She is adamant. He had never run away from home. There was never any problem big enough that would make him want to walk away from his life and insists that their bond, her bond with him, was much too strong that they loved each other way too much for him to have done that. As of now, every lead has brought investigators and Bryce's family to dead ends. Investigators have utilized every resource available to them in an effort to find Bryce at the lake, in the Southern California area, and the rest of the country. Each week, Bryce's parents receive tips about sightings of Bryce, but every one of them has been a false alarm. All of Bryce's information, his driver's license, his social security number, passport, and fingerprints are in the nationwide missing persons database. All of his online accounts have remained the same, open and unchanged, in the hopes that he might log in to something at some point. But so far, there has been no activity on any of it. So, if he is out there somewhere, wandering around, he has remained completely off the grid. A year after his disappearance, Bryce's parents enlisted the help of a private investigator that specializes in missing persons cases. But there remains a complete lack of any hard evidence of where in the world Bryce ended up. The private investigator is convinced that Bryce would not have walked away voluntarily either. And two years after he disappeared, she and his parents hired a sonar specialist to search Castaic Lake again specifically looking at areas police divers did not search, as the lake is 300 feet deep in some parts. Using sound waves, they were hoping to find something at the bottom of the lake that might be Bryce's body. But after two 12-hour days of searching, they came up empty-handed again. Bryce Las Pisa at the time of his disappearance was 19 years old. He stood 5 foot 11 inches tall, or 1.8 meters, weighing approximately 170 pounds or 77 kilograms. He is Caucasian with red hair and blue eyes. He has a tattoo of a bull with his birth date in Roman numerals on his left shoulder. If you have any information about Bryce Las Pisa, please call 949-292-4400 or email your information to findbrycelaspisa at gmail.com. And now, Justin is going to discuss some possible theories regarding Bryce's disappearance. All right. First of all, I would like to thank Roseanne for presenting a flawless timeline, flawless details. I am very, very peculiar about that stuff, and she hit the nail right square on the head. It was perfect. There literally are no more details that I could find personally. Same thing with the timeline. Timeline is perfect, and I will be the first one to tell you this is a hard case to track a timeline on because there is so much weird stuff going on. 
Second reason I want to thank Roseanne is for participating in this. Uh, we have two totally different styles. Totally different. But that's what I love. Feeding off of other people, doing different things, trying new stuff. Absolutely love it. So thank you, Roseanne. And uh, so I guess let's go ahead and talk about some theories. The first one would be Bryce walked away from his car crash, uh, headed over to the truck stop, and hitched a ride to a destination uh, somewhere, anywhere. Hitched a ride with a trucker or whatever. Now this theory is not out of the realm of possibilities because he was tracked there. The only kind of things that I really, I don't know, I kind of doubt it a little bit, and don't get me wrong, still very plausible theory, is that nowadays most truckers stay in their area. They really don't drive cross-country too much anymore. There's a lot more laws in place to prevent that, tire driving, long distances, blah, blah, blah. They usually stay up and down the coast right there. Now, I'm not a truck driver, so I can't say that 100%, but I'm saying that about 75%. Now, with that being said, the fact that there are billboards with his face on it everywhere, you would think that somebody would alert the authorities unless there would be foul play involved. Now, given the wreck that Bryce was in and the blood found in the vehicle, the fact that the window, the back window of this vehicle was broken out from the inside outward does prove that he got out of this vehicle alive, left all his belongings there, wallet, duffel bag right there. So technically this kid has no identity, but he is very recognizable. He has very bright red hair. You could pick him out of a lineup pretty damn easily, along with the tattoo on his arm. So the fact that just some local trucker that picked him up might have, you know, minus the foul play part of that theory, might have picked him up, not known who he is, or contacted authorities by now, kind of, I kind of doubt that theory. Next one is Bryce suffers a head injury while it... Uh, he, Bryce suffered a head injury when he crashed the car, wandered off, and is living somewhere as a transient, unaware of who he is. Now, this right here is also a very, very plausible theory. The speed that he was going when he crashed and the fact that he went down a 25-foot embankment and hit the bottom of it right square head-on and the fact that there is blood is evidence of some kind of injury more than likely he hit his head somewhere in that vehicle whether it be the steering wheel the dashboard maybe even possibly the windshield we don't know that is a very very plausible theory but again there have been authorities that have searched everywhere for this kid and he is very recognizable again billboards everywhere by now I would suspect, unless foul play was involved, that somebody would have contacted the local or state authorities. The next one, Bryce staged his disappearance and voluntarily walked out of his life. Now this right here is also a very plausible theory. Bryce told his parents he had something very important to talk to them about. Now his parents don't know what that is. Obviously from the actions that he that he was displaying before he left does suggest 
that something was going on. Now, the stuff that he was on, I know Roseanne touched on it, uh, Vyvanse. Huge stimulant. It's like Adderall. You know, it's basically pill form cocaine, all right, except it's, you know, government regulated. But the sad thing is, is that scientists and the FDA are quoted as saying they aren't exactly sure how the drug even works, which is so sad because they put this on the shelves and they prescribe it to people when they don't even know how it works. Now, it does affect the nervous system, and it does also trigger a flight-or-fight response. Now, where that will come into play is that this drug right here, he was on for a couple days. He was up, playing video games, driving, not doing anything. This kid sat in a rest area parking lot for 13 hours, not doing anything, totally zoning out. That's a little bit odd, but it lines up perfectly with the symptoms of being on this medication and the come down of it. Like Roseanne had stated, I'm going to state them again. You got anxiety, irritability, aggression, hallucinations, mood swings, manic episodes. These are psychological symptoms. Now combine that with the alcohol that he was on before he left, some of the things that he said to his girlfriend, the fact that he was giving away his personal belongings along with family heirloom earrings, that says a lot right there. What was he thinking about while sitting there for 13 hours? That just blows my mind. What is going on in this kid's head? It's almost as if he was running from himself. He didn't want to go home, but he didn't want to stay where he was. And I can honestly say I've been there. That's why I can kind of understand where this dude's coming from. I've been there. Luckily, I had family that wouldn't take no for an answer and literally brought me back to my senses. I had great friends around me who brought me back to my senses, but I've been in that situation. And I almost want to say that while he's sitting there, he's contemplating, what do I want to do? Now, with the effects of this drug, the concentration problems, the hallucinations, the irritability, the aggression, the anxiety, you can almost see this going on in his head. Manic episodes. He's going, he's going, he's going. But then you have the come down. Now, the withdrawal associated with the come down of this drug extreme fatigue depression mood swings hallucinations increased appetite sleep difficulties headaches this fits perfectly right in here with this now if he was a regular user he probably would have been used to this stuff now, whether he was a regular user or not, we don't really know. Because here's the deal. His roommate is not going to incriminate himself. His girlfriend is not going to incriminate herself. You almost want to take what they're saying with a grain of salt and a little bit of doubt. Because they're trying to help as much as they possibly can without giving possibly their own habits away. Now, that does say a lot. 
Because think about it, hallucinations. What is this guy thinking about? Is he hallucinating? Is he coming down? Is he doubting himself? He told his parents he had a lot to talk to them about. Like Roseanne said, he had spent the entire summer with his parents. He'd only been at school, back at school for a couple of days. What was so important that he had to talk to his parents about? Nobody really knows. Now, I am going to throw this in here. I'm not 100% sure that the relationship between his mother and him are as close as she might like to say. Yes, he was a, he was an only child. We do know that. So obviously he did get all the attention. But you got to ask yourself, why in the hell did this kid who came from a family not probably not, you know, extreme millionaires or anything, but they were pretty well off. They were well to do. Why did he have to go to a community college so far away? It was because he needed a change of scenery. He needed a fresh start. So what that tells me is that there's questions about his past. What questions are those? What happened in his past? Was there something that happened with his parents, with his mother? Was there a break in the relationship? We don't know. Now, going back to some more of these theories... And Vivance is a huge factor in these theories because I will say this too. At this age is when you would usually start to show the signs of schizophrenia. Now, I'm not a psychologist, so I'm not saying he did have schizophrenia. But if he did, this would be about the time that these warning signs would start showing up. And as fate would have it, these warning signs are almost the same symptoms as you would find in Vivance, the up and the down of it, both, and then multiplied with alcohol. And as we do know, Bryce was drinking pretty heavily at this time. Now, while he was at that rest area, cops did search his vehicle. There were no drugs. There was no alcohol found. But that's not saying that he wasn't coming down off of it. I mean, he sat there for 13 hours. He was going to sober up. But I will say this, it is hard to voluntarily walk out of your life in that year, from 2013 until now. With so much technology, it is so hard to change your identity nowadays. And even if he could, what resources does he have to do this? You can't even get a license without a social security card, birth certificate, proof of residence, any of this stuff. So this is extremely hard. That's why I kind of put that theory a little bit down, but it's totally not out of the realm of possibilities. Next theory come up. Bryce crashed his car and decided he didn't want to face his family and decided to not go home and stay hidden from his family and friends. This isn't too bad either because, I mean, obviously... He was already trying to get away from everybody. But in all honesty, he wouldn't need a reason to crash his car. He could have just left it at the rest stop and just walked away voluntarily. He didn't have to crash it. He didn't have to make this huge scene. If he wanted to walk away voluntarily, he would probably not make a scene. 
He would try to draw least amount of attention to himself as possible. Even if he parked that vehicle in a rest area and walked away, that would give him a day or two head start, minimum. So I don't know, I'm kind of weary about that one. Next one is Bryce had a drug and alcohol addiction he was struggling with, and rather than face his family, he decided to live off the grid. Now, this is some rough terrain that he was out here at. I don't know if a kid from Orange County might have the know-how to actually live off the grid. I'm not saying that because I'm from the country. I grew up hunting, fishing, camping. I could probably live off the grid pretty easily if I wanted to. Now, given his background, I find that hard to believe. Although I do think that Bryce struggled with drug and alcohol addiction. And while he was, you know, telling his girlfriend things like, you're better off without me, meaning I'm pretty much worthless, you can do so much better. And he was so hesitant to go home. I think he got to that point of just self-loathing, like he felt worthless, like he was not good enough for this world. So that does kind of tie into that. So I do see that as a possibility. Now, number six here is Bryce suffered a psychotic break, which became aggravated um, by his pill usage of Vyvanse and his drinking and uh, is possibly living somewhere, you know, unknown. This right here is possibly my favorite theory. I think... The drugs compared with a possible head injury would almost make this the most likely scenario. Now, his mom does say that if he is alive out there, he has to almost not know who he is. Otherwise, he would come home. But then again, nobody has seen this kid. The lakes were searched. 11-mile radius. Nobody. Nowhere. So it's really, really weird. But a psychotic break does make perfect sense when you tie that into it. Next one would be Bryce had a sudden onset of mental illness, something common among people his age. Uh, he's aware of who he is, but is choosing to stay hidden from his family. Again, I could definitely see this as a possibility just because of the not-so-much-mental-illness factor, but if there was a case of mental illness, I could see that tied in with the pill usage, and he literally just had a break. Throw in the combination there with some head trauma, it's really, really possible. Very possible. Next one would be Bryce uh, had a plan to run away from home, spent the day or two before he disappeared contemplating what to do, and finally decided after he crashed his car, just to literally walk away from his life. This is also a very plausible theory, because like I had stated earlier, and like Roseanne had stated, he sat in this rest area for 13 hours. His mom called him several times. He avoided contact. I honestly think he came to a life-affirming moment where he had to make a decision, and he sat there thinking about this in this parking lot. This is seriously one of the strangest things that I've ever had a chance to look into. And 
when you start tying in all these little details to the days leading up to this, I mean, he was up the night before he left. He was up for two days on these pills. And if he hit this breaking point right about the time he was going through withdrawals and coming down, this would make a lot of sense. But I also don't know why he would voluntarily crash his vehicle if he did have this plan. That part just kind of doesn't make sense. Because like I said, he could have literally just left his vehicle there and had a one, two, or three day head start if he really wanted to walk away from his life. He would probably try not to draw that much attention to himself. Next one up would be Bryce met with some kind of foul play and was killed, his body hidden, buried, pretty much dis disposed of. Now, since he was tracked to this nearby uh, truck stop, this also is a very distinct possibility. It would probably be the worst luck of all humankind if this happened in this 48-hour time span because all of his actions combined at the end with in a single act of foul play, that's almost inconceivable. The chances of that happening are slim to none, but I am definitely not ruling it out because he was tracked to this truck stop. So it is possible that somebody did pick him up and he was a victim of foul play and, you know, possibly had such severe head trauma maybe he had a concussion he couldn't fight back maybe a trucker picked him up and he had such a bad concussion that he just fell asleep and never woke up truck driver freaks out puts his body somewhere this is desolate country in this area it is not out of the realm of possibility to where you can hide a body and nobody will ever find it so you got to keep that in the back of your minds. Next one up would be uh, Bryce uh, met with foul play, but he was possibly robbed or carjacked and the crash uh, of his car was staged by someone else. And it was uh, someone else who possibly sent him over the embankment to stage the scene. This is also a very very good possibility even that beside that fact maybe this person and him were struggling at the wheel and Bryce said you know what I'm gonna hit the gas if I'm gonna go out he's gonna go out with me this is a very good distinct possibility but with a crash of that magnitude two people in that vehicle there was only one blood type found that right there kind of tells me a little bit that maybe this didn't happen, but it's definitely, again, not out of the realm of possibilities. Next one would be, uh, Bryce was distraught over something that he, that was going on with school, with his friends, his girlfriend, and just decided to leave, but didn't want to go home, leading what happened to him pretty much, uh, is up in the air. We don't know. Like I had said, the events in the 48 to 72 hours before this say a lot about what was going on in his mind. But the sad thing is, is that under the influence of Vivance, I don't think it was really his mind, unfortunately. So that definitely is a very, very strong possibility. Next one up would be Bryce was uh, drinking and doing some pills 
to the point where he began experiencing severe side effects of substance abuse, which would be sending him on this disjointed uh, journey home, pretty much just leading to his disappearance. And again, that kind of ties in with the last one. And again, that is a very distinct possibility because remember people, there has been no body found. Nobody has ever reported seeing him anywhere and this kid has a very distinct look next one up would be bryce spent august 28th through august 30th giving away all his belongings contemplating suicide not wanting to go back to school but not wanting to go home which all accumulated to this car accident and then he just wandered off and again this right here very very strong possibility there was no body found. Obviously, he walked away from the crash. Very, very, very good possibility. Next one up would be Bryce attempted suicide by driving his car off the embankment, but when that did not work, he wandered into the lake on his own and drowned, and his remains have not yet been recovered. That is a possibility to an extent. If he probably wouldn't have been tracked to the truck stop, although... Maybe somebody was in the vehicle with him that possibly gave that scent of him to the truck stop to where that person met with somebody else. You know, that would be more entwined with the foul play factor. But again, definitely not out of the realm of possibilities. Next one up would be Bryce suffered a really traumatic brain injury uh, when his car crashed. He became disoriented, wandered off got to the truck stop, got help from a passerby, a trucker, hitched a ride to somewhere unknown and possibly died of his injuries. This is also a very, very good possibility because like I've said numerous times, he did get tracked to that truck stop, which does prove that he walked away from this accident. I honestly think that he might have hitched a ride with somebody and... We don't know the extent of his injuries. There could have been a lot of internal injuries that we do not know about, which would have accumulated to, you know, him passing away either when he got to his destination or while he was with somebody that he hitched a ride with. This person got scared, freaked out, you know, maybe drunk or mewling drugs. I know that's a little far-fetched, but it's still not out of the realm of possibilities. So you do have to put that in as a factor. This person, you know, got scared, ditched the body, probably not going to find it. Next one up would be, you know, Bryce got the head injury, wandered off, succumbed to his injuries, possibly succumbed to the elements, drowned, or uh, was unable to obtain help for himself and died. Now this really was a lot tied into the last one and that also is a very po good possibility. Could have hitched a ride to another truck stop, to a gas station. Maybe, you know, he got somewhere, hitched a ride with someone else and eventually passed away somewhere else. Next one up would be Bryce attempted suicide by driving his car off the embankment but only managed to injure himself. He wandered off seeking a better location in order to be able to take his own life and in some place where his remains have yet to be found. 
If he failed at this, and he was dead set determined, after contemplating this, for a day and a half, two days, sitting in a parking lot for 13 hours, thinking about what he was going to do, could you imagine if he finally made that decision to do it, but he didn't want to suffer the embarrassment to his family? I mean, this kid couldn't even go home. He didn't want to face his family. The fact that he said he had so many things to talk about. What did he have to talk about? Maybe he was suicidal. You got to tie that in because if he made this decision and failed, that would make him feel even more worthless. That would tip him over the edge. Maybe he did walk to the truck stop. Maybe he hitched a ride a hundred miles away, got out somewhere, walked, jumped off a cliff. We don't know. So think about all those theories. Personally, I'm torn on this one. This is probably one of the weirdest cases that I have ever had the opportunity to research. And thank you, Roseanne, for giving me a headache over the course of like three days while I'm sitting here looking at this like, what in the hell happened to this kid? Like, none of this makes sense. Like, all up until his car crash... Him committing a suicide does make sense because of his actions. Actions always speak louder than words. But the fact that obviously he did not die in this crash, he left all of his personal belongings there. Honestly, if he did not commit suicide, I really do think that he possibly started a new life somewhere else. Possibly suffering from amnesia and not knowing who he is. The amnesia factor kind of bothers me a little bit because, like I said, this is a very highly publicized disappearance. There are billboards all over the place. It's been on the news. There's been TV shows about this. But if he would have hitched a ride with a trucker at this truck stop who might have been driving east, he could be anywhere in the country. So, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I would like to thank Roseanne again for being phenomenal on this research. It was amazing. It was flawless. Very well done. And I hope you guys enjoyed our two different styles meshed together because personally, it was a pleasure to work with Roseanne and I hope we get to do so again in the future. And with that being said, I will see you fine folks on the flip side.